the Practical Prophetic, where prophetic ministry is made practical. I'm Beth Wingate, I'm your host, and welcome to the podcast. On our podcast today, we have part two of our overview of the book of James with Kristen Martin. Welcome back to the program, Kristen. Good to have you. Thanks. Hello again. Yes, so last week we talked about James chapter 1 and chapter 2, and today we're going to finish out the book with the remaining three chapters. And we said James is one of those books about talking the talk and walking the walk. And so this is one of those practical life application books that you can use in your everyday life life as a believer and so that has prophetic power so Kristen I'm just going to flip it over to you and let you share with us what you've prepared on the book of James okay great thanks um happy to be back and the book of James the first two chapters as in a way of review deal mainly with trials and going through trials and with patience and not just patience is waiting but patience with the right attitude and out outlook and perspective that everything that good is good and perfect is coming from God and that it says that if you're tempted not to think that that's from the Lord because he does not tempt um, but that's our own lust within us and uh, chapter four will talk a lot about our lust that were within us but chapter three first is about the tongue and chapter three verse one says my brethren be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And some translations I'll put teacher there. But I think what he's really trying to say is actions speak louder than words. And that instead of, you know, telling everybody like you should do this, you should do this, because everything you tell them to do, you'll be held to that standard. Let your life live it and your actions declare it. And but then he goes on to talk about how that our tongue, he compares it to a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship, and that both of those things are used to navigate and to obey or submit to the will of the captain or the rider. And so he's saying that we should bring our tongue under submission to the word of God. And he says that we all offend with our tongue and that if you uh, mature and learn not to be offensive with your tongue, that you have become a more perfect man. And so I think that if we really think about that, that's very true. I mean, how many times in our lives have we said, I wish I wouldn't have said that? Or maybe even I wish I wouldn't have said it in that way. Every day. (laughs) Right. It's a very common problem. And, you know, and there's definitely been times in my life where I focused more on it. And I feel like sometimes the more you focus on it, the more you realize how much you um, maybe just say things the wrong way or say you didn't intend for the person to receive it the way you said it. And so James is really saying like, hey, this really does set the direction and the course for so many things. So be careful. With the words you use, be careful how you speak. And I think because he started it off talking about don't seek to be a teacher because you'll be held to a higher standard. I think what he's saying is don't don't in the way you're saying things to people take the role of authority, because I think it's important sometimes to just say, you know what, Lord, I'm not sure. I think this is what your word says, and I'll just leave it at that. Because I think uh, sometimes we get ourselves into trouble when we begin to assume, well, they meant this, or you should do this. Hey, you should do that. (laughs) I was um, was thinking about parenting every day. (laughs) Right. I wish I would have said something a little different. Sometimes I think uh, I would have put more thought or let the Holy Spirit lead me in how I respond to situations, especially when my kids do things, you know, that I wish they wouldn't do. Right. And it's hard sometimes in the emotions of a moment to have have our tongue completely under control. And that's why James teaches us <laughs> that no man can tame the tongue. And I think that he calls it a fire, a world of iniquity. <laughs> and he says that it is set on fire of hell. And I think it's interesting that he compares the tongue to fire. And then on the day of Pentecost, 
they had tongues of fire, cloven tongues of fire. And then so I look at it like that. No man can tame the tongue, but you got to fight fire with fire. So if your tongue is a fire and an unruly evil, as Jane says it is, then you need the fire baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's good. I like tongue. that. And so I like that. And fire, fire has two sides to the coin. It can be destructive, but it can also be a force for good. Right. And that's what the word tells us. It says life and death are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit of it. So kind of like the rudder on the ship, it can turn it either way. It can and you can use your like with your children. You can use that tongue to speak blessing and prophesy over them. You know, it was one of the. I'm thankful that my mom got a revelation when I was a very small child that it was important to speak over me. So she would she would speak positive things over us. Uh, She would tell us, you know, on the way to school, this is your day. You're going to make an A, you know, just stuff like that. She would always speak positive things over us. And I believe that it changed my perspective. You know, I went into maybe that test with confidence instead of intimidation and so i think it's so important and i don't think it's just positive thinking i think it's like the bible says as a man thinks in his heart or out of the abundance of the heart the mouth will speak i think when your heart gets aligned with the lord and you're speaking those things out of a heart rest then it's really going to make a huge impact on your life and it is sometimes complicated in the moment when you're feeling frustrated maybe your child's done something that is you know, frustrating to deal with, but to stop and say, like, one of the things I used to say when my kids were little is, I love you too much to let you act this way. Instead of saying, like, why'd you do that? I can't believe you did that. (laughs) You know, I would just stop and say, I love you too much to allow you to act this way. This is not the best for you. And so I tried to turn it into, instead of like an accusation against them as a challenge and a standard for them. Right. And I think as they get older, being able to really hear for as their problems become more complex, you know, as they right. grow in relationships with other people and peers and and whatnot, then being able to to speak into their life and give them advice and, and guidance in a way that's wisdom from the Lord and to to listen to them, to not invalidate what they're saying or, you know, it it does have a degree of complexity that's added on as they get older and as, as the role sort of changes and evolves. And so I'm thinking of of that for that application right there too. Sometimes I think that that's challenging and it's challenging and not just with parenting, but all kinds of scenarios like that. Right. And I think it's really important to teach our kids to listen to the Holy Spirit and not always just say, well, this is what you should do. You know, I try to, especially when it's, you know, stuff that is personalized to them, just say, you know what, let's pray together. This is what the word tells you. But let's pray and let's, you know, I think sometimes we make the mistake of just like, well, you should do this, you should do this. And in in some ways, I think that's what you're saying about be careful, you know, because it is like even in our own selves, sometimes what we're trying to require of our child, maybe we ourselves mess up and we give ourselves grace, but we're upset with our kid, you know, and I'm like, right. sometimes we have to step back and say, hey, you know what, everybody, everybody messes up, but this is what I think you should do. This is what God's word says. Let's pray about it. Right. I, yeah, I want them to come to those conclusions on their own and just sort of, you know, take the training wheels off <laughs> as they learn right. and, and grow. But uh, but yes, I, I, we definitely our tongue is one of the most powerful weapons we have. And the, the Lord equates it in some ways to the sword of the spirit, you know, that uh, Jesus yes. says the word of God is like a sword. And so we need to use it wisely. Right. And. That's kind of what James goes on to say in James 3, verse 9 through 12. He says, therewith, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith, curse we men who are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursings. My brethren, these ought not to be. And then he says, he compares it to a fountain. And he says, you can't find sweet and bitter water in the same fountain. He's like, a fig tree is not going to produce berries. And an olive berry is not going to produce figs. And he's like, so it's confusing. 
you know, and that's one of the things that I would say a lot to my kids too. When they went to school, I'd say, you know, if you are calling yourself a Christian and you're going to school and you're saying it, I love Jesus and I'm a follower of Christ. I'm like to be unkind to someone is a misrepresentation of his character. And it's just confusing. One of my kids was a leader in a, a first priority group at her school. And so just like James said, right when she came to me and said that she was going to do this, that was the next thing I said to her. I said, do not step into that role without realizing the responsibility you have to be an example of someone that truly will make Christ their first priority. That means every conversation with every kid, every interaction with every student is now connected to that. Right. And and I actually read her these verses and said it would be super confusing if you got up and did did an excellent, you know, message, but then in any way acted unkind to someone. And because you've wanted the leadership position and you should, you shouldn't shrink back from that, but you should realize it's not disconnected from the rest of the day and the way you interact with everyone. And so I think that's super important. And I think that's what James is saying. He's saying that when we bless the Lord and when we publicly proclaim his goodness, then we shouldn't turn around and say things that are like in contradiction to that because People are not sure who you are then. And that's why he said, you know, are you a bitter or sweet fountain? You know, what what are you? Wait wait a minute. Can people come for refreshment to you or do they need to avoid you? Right. And that kind of speech can show up in a host of ways. It can be crass talk. It can be negative talk. It can be critical talk. You know, like you said, unkind speech. And so gossip, uh, you know. yeah, gossip is a big one. It, it right. covers it covers a lot. That's lots of different examples. And there, I'm sure there's more that we didn't cover. But uh, so we just we do need to like the word says in, in Proverbs, bridle our tongue. Right. And we need to understand that, you know, like James said, in many ways, we offend all the moment we recognize, you know, I shouldn't have said that. We need to be able to humble ourselves and go to that person and say, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that, (laughs) you know, and I think that will help us and it'll really help them see someone that's really genuine. But right. I had an example of that this week with one of my kids. (laughs) I'll just tell the story. I hope they won't mind. But uh, one of them, I made it clear to them, do not lose this debit card. I'm going to let you use it. (laughs) And what did they do? They lost it. (laughs) And so I, um, I was frustrated and uh, I thought I was maybe a little too hard on them. And so later that uh, afternoon, I said, listen, I'm sorry. I was a little too hard on you. I, I, maybe I didn't stress enough how important that was. And, you know, it was canceled and handled. But, you know, it, let's learn from this, both of us, and grow from this. And so, right. So, but if we can't do that with our own family, you know, it starts with us. And it starts with our right. family. You know, how are you going to be able to do that with other people? So, True. Um, and then he says that real wisdom and maturity is shown in our conversation. That's what James 3.13 says. It says, if who is a wise man and endued with knowledge, let him show from a good conversation his meekness with wisdom. In other words, then, like you said, if, if you've got the walk, walk the walk and talk the talk and let it all come in alignment with each other. And in James 3.14-16, it starts talking about envy and strife. And he, one of the things I think is interesting, he says, but if you have bitter immune and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. But when he talked about having um, bitter envy and strife in our hearts, he said, don't lie about it. Because <laughs> I think a lot of times we lie to ourselves about it. Will uh, the Bible says our hearts deceitful? You know, we can't always rely on our emotions as the best God. And so we have to be able to allow the Holy Spirit. Like I said last week, David would say, examine me, search me, show me if there's any hidden thing in me. (laughs) You know, David was like, David understood that 
maybe I always don't see myself in the best perspective. I have to be able to step back and say, okay, God, what do you say? Do you say that this is in my heart? Do you say this is in my conduct or character? And can I be honest with myself? Um, because I think a lot of times when we get into the emotions of that, we we usually do not assign that to ourselves. We usually always assign that to others. But that's what I think James is saying there is that don't don't lie to your don't lie to yourself about it. Like if you're dealing with this, bring it to the Lord and allow him to work a maturing work in you. Because really, that's to me, the, the general theme of James is it's time to mature in your faith. It's time for your faith to grow and mature and you to be really able to honestly evaluate where you are and where you need to be. Um, and then the next scripture in James 4, 5 says, Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? And when I was reading through the commentaries, that scripture actually had a lot of different like perspectives from the commentaries. But what I believe that it means is because many, many times in scripture, it talks about how the Lord is jealous for us. So there's just like there's an anger that's a righteous anger. There is a jealousy that's a that's an appropriate jealousy, you know, like inside marriage. It's it's not wrong. Because you've made a covenant with a person if they if they were going off and hanging out with someone of the opposite sex for you to be like, that's not right and be upset about it. That's an appropriate thing because of the covenant, because of ownership. And that's what the, the word teaches us, that God is jealous for us. Right. You know, that the covenant he made with us, that he bought us, he purchased us. We are not our own. And so there is a. There is a jealousy that the Lord feels for us and that there's a jealousy that is appropriate and that when we are really the Lord's, that we shouldn't, you know, he he says in many times in the book of James, he'll say, you adulteresses and adulteresses. And what he's saying is you're being unfaithful to to the seriousness of the covenant you have with your Lord. And so that's what he's saying is like, don't don't be immature with the relationship you have understand its value and its worth and participate with it james 13 17 through 18 says but the wisdom that that is from above is first pure then peaceable gentle easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits without partiality without hypocrisy and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those that make peace and when i think of pure i just think nothing else added so the wisdom from the lord is first it's just his wisdom not his wisdom plus man's wisdom, his wisdom plus what you think, you know, it's just what does he say? It's peaceable. You know, I say it's not wisdom if what someone's telling you to do is going to lead to more strife. And then it's it's gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, full of good fruits. And so uh, that is how chapter three ends. And then when we move to chapter four, he talks a lot about. The lust that war within us. He says that from whence comes wars and fighting among you, come they not even from the lust that war within your members. And then he says that we ask and have not because we ask them, yes. And so I look at it like this. We all have uh, desires, things we have within us that we desire to have. And we're either going to turn those desires to the Lord or we're going to turn them away from the Lord. And I feel like that's what he's saying is when you don't submit those desires to the Lord, they become lust within you and they're going to lead to strife. They're going to lead to problems. But if you will submit all the things that are in you and seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and then trust that all those things will be added unto you, then you're going to be at peace and it's not going to be something that overtakes you. And because I think we all can relate to at least one or two people we've met that we've seen their lust really overtake their life and lead them down maybe a bad path. And so that's what I think of when I think of that scripture. I think, you know, we all have the same basic desires, but are we going to try to meet them for ourselves? Or are we going to submit them all to the Lord, seek him first and trust that he can, he knows how to provide those things for us. The book of James in 
the Sermon on the Mount are closely related. And that's what Matthew 6, 31 through 33 tells us. It says, take no thought about what you'll eat or drink or where you'll be clothed for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. And that's what the Gentiles seek after. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Proverbs eleven six says the righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their own lust. So that's pretty serious stuff. And then which leads us to Galatians five and Romans seven, which teach us to walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. And so I think another way we can say is our our lust, our desires is our flesh. And when we walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. We're submitting all those desires to the spirit. I feel like it's, you know, just as it says that you're walking after he's leading. You're giving him the first and foremost position and then you're in obedience to it. So, yes, I think we should walk after the spirit or submit to his leadership. And that's what James kind of goes on to say in James 4, 8. It says, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded. And so to me, this is just a promise of presence that if we will just take God at his word here and say, the more I make space and time and availability and obedience to you, the more I'm seeking you, the more I'm finding you. And the more I prioritize you, the more I understand and grow and mature in you. And so I think that's what he's saying there. And then in James 4, 9 through 10, he says, be afflicted and mourn, weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And I think what he's saying is he was talking about being double-minded. And before that, I think he's saying, like, recognize the things in you that are the issues. You know, he was talking about your lust that were within you. And he's saying, and take them seriously, like, really have a fear of the Lord and be kind of, uh, you know, I kind of look at it as where would I be without Jesus and not ever getting very far removed from that and get, get understanding that I need him and right. that, and that I need to submit to him and that I don't have any confidence in my flesh. And I think that's why he's saying like, you know, Hey, you need to, <laughs> you on your own, is uh, you need to take that seriously. Weep and mourn and let your joy be turned to heaviness. Like so then he says, submit to the Lord and he'll lift you up. Then he goes on about what you speak again. And he talks about not speaking evil against your brother because that's ju- that's judging the law. And he says, there's one lawgiver who's able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Again, I think that he's saying like, don't set yourself up as, You know how to tell everybody what to do because you're always going to be held to that standard. Instead, take the role of mercy because the Bible says to the merciful, I'll show myself merciful. Take the role of mercy and say, you know, Lord, I just pray for them. I'm not sure why they did that. I don't think they should have done that, but I'm just going to pray with them. I'm going to pray for them. And, you know, don't be quick to be the person that's like, you shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Be quick to be the person that says, you know. I forgive you. I'm going to pray for you. But this is a um, a part that I think uh, people don't, I don't hear people talk about this a lot, but it says in James 4, 13 through 16, it says, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanish away. For what you ought to say is if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now we you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. And to me, this is, again, a matter of submission. And he's saying, you know, you make a whole lot of plans, but you're not. They're your plans. And you're not (laughs) you're saying, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. (laughs) And you're not really. Speaking about what the Lord desires and what the Lord wants. And I think that's what he's saying. And he says, that's evil. How many times do we really look at that as wrong? But again, this is this is you doing your life 
without really first stepping back and saying, what do you desire, Lord? What is your plans and purposes for me? And he's, he kind of says, you don't even know if you're going to be alive next year. He's like, you're making plans for next year. You should say, if the Lord will, I'll do this. And I think that's right. just a, like a understanding of God upholds all things and I'm not in charge. I need to submit. I need to understand that I don't have things figured out and that I need his counsel, his leadership. I need to walk after the spirit. Right. I'm I'm reminded of that quote that says, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. (laughs) Right. Or the or the country song that says, I thank God for unanswered prayers. You know, we, we don't know what tomorrow holds. I know one time my husband and I, we moved somewhere and in hindsight, we were like, you know, God still blessed us. God can still bless plan B, but we missed it. And we know we missed it. And, you know, it was okay. God came through and he ended up, you know, working things together for our good. I believe God's always gracious and merciful, but that was not God's best. It was not God's perfect plan and perfect will for us. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was OK. It wasn't a major mess up. But there are times, you know, we were like, did we really pray about this? Did we really hear God on this issue? And so it, it was a lesson. It taught us so much. And so sometimes we have to learn those lessons the hard way. And so James wants us to learn those lessons the easy way. Right. And because we're in this relationship with the Lord, where we're seeking first his kingdom and trusting in him i mean the bible compares it so much to a marriage and i just think like as a husband and wife if you go off and make your own plans without seeking the the approval and guidance and support of your spouse like that of course is going to lead to problems (laughs) and like i look at it the same way like you're you're in relationship you're in covenant relationship with the lord why would you think you should make any plans without his full, you know, agreement and understanding. And because, of course, he is God, you should definitely consult him because he's just got more wisdom. He's got eternal perspective that you don't have. He sees it from the beginning to the end. And so I just kind of feel like, you know, honor the relationship and the covenant you have with Lord and understand as an act of worship that he just knows so much more and understand so much more than you do. So it should be like, yay, I get to go and get my plans filtered through God's eternal wisdom and perspective. My, oh, well, okay, yeah, I have to pray about it, I guess, before I do this. I don't look at it like that. I look at it as, you know how to have solid plans when you always get to submit them to the maker and creator of all things. <laughs> And before you take your first step, you get to, you get to hear from heaven's perspective the wisdom you need for the situation. I'm like, that's pretty awesome. Why would we not use that? <laughs> so James five, it talks about mistreating others. You know, it, it says that the rich man is going to stand in judgment because of the way that he's treated or held back, or frauded others, and so many times in our society, I think about this, and you know, your your podcast about uh, how the retribution of the Lord, I mean, there are people that do use their money, and power, and position to totally mistreat people, and sometimes that can be a very hard thing to understand, I think, that's one of the things, you know, maybe some people say like, well, why does this happen? Why, why does this happen? <laughs> and I get it. I get like, why do some people seem to continue to do wrong? And it seems to go unpunished. But he but James is saying, keep things in an eternal perspective, because there will be a day that God will make all things right. And that's basically what he says. He says, you've heaped together treasures for the last days. And he said, he tells him is, you know, your riches are corrupted and your gold and silver will rust. And that's the Sermon on the Mount. That's what Jesus says. Lay not up treasures for yourself on the earth where moth and rust do corrupt. But where and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasures in heaven 
for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so, and then he goes on after he talks about the rich man mistreating his hired people. He says their cries have reached the Lord's ear and that he said, you condemned and killed and they did not resist you. And so I think that's one thing to know that the Lord is not unaware of these things. That's what James is telling us. He's telling us that God sees and that he will hold people accountable. James 5, 7 through 8 says, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. But be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And so he's telling them that, you know, maybe right now you're just going to have to be patient with the process and understand that there is a day of the Lord that's drawing nigh. And it makes me think about the parable of the kingdom where he talked about how the, the man sowed good seed and then an enemy came in and sowed tares. And they said, well, just let them, leave them be. And let it all grow up together because we'll hurt the good trying to take care of the bad. So let just let it all grow up together. And then at the harvest, it will be taken care of and they will be separated. And so there are some things that maybe is going to take eternity to, to really it's going to take the kingdom of heaven to really uh, to sort it completely through. But you just have to trust the Lord that he is hearing those cries. And then he is working on your behalf. And then James 5, 9, right after he talks about that kind of mistreatment, he says, grudge not against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned because the judge standeth at the door. So in other words, he's saying you're going to be tempted during that process to get a bitter heart. Don't do it because if you'll just endure, if you'll just be patient, if you'll trust the Lord, that when the judge comes in, it's like you said in your podcast, Judgment's not always bad. There's a lot of people that were very thankful for their day of court. (laughs) That they, when the gavel hit, it was for their benefit. (laughs) Right. You know, we all know the story of the woman who had the hot coffee spilled on her and McDonald's, and she sued McDonald's and won a huge judgment for damages. And, you know, that was something people talk about for a long time. But that was a, a righteous, good judgment in her favor. Right. And so that's what he's saying. He's like, don't get upset. And he, right after he says you're being mistreated, he's like, don't get upset because the judge is standing at the door. And then he, then he says, take the, take my brother and the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endured. And he references Job. And when you think about it, like what Bible character didn't that? some point and at some time deal with a difficulty and have to trust the Lord through the difficulty. And that's what he's saying. He was like, you know, you talk about David, but he did have to face Goliath. He faced first a brother that insulted him. And then he faced Goliath and, you know, David dealt with Saul. And so, so many of these Bible stories that we love and we draw so much strength from their faith. We also have to acknowledge they had real struggles and in the struggles they had to trust God and they had to wait patiently for the unfolding of God's salvation through their life. You know, was it, we read it in a few chapters and it, we know the, the story quickly and we see the nice little tidy ending, <laughs> but this was their life walked out through years. Right. And then he kind of shifts gears and he talks about, he says, is there any uh, among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is there any Mary? Let him sing songs. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, they'll be forgiven him. And so I think that's uh, pretty cool. He's talking about him being healed, but he's also saying, you know, he's going to get total healing, not just physical healing but spiritual healing at the same time. And we, we know in the Gospels that this would this happened to Jesus' ministry too, that he would tell people, your sins are forgiven as he healed them. And so he's saying if we will be the body of Christ to each other and we'll pray for each other, 
that there'll be a total work in the person's life. And James five sixteen through 18 says, confess your faults one to another and pray for each other that ye may be healed. And I just think it's kind of funny, you know, or interesting that in the verses before it, he's like, if you're sick, when they pray for you, your, your sins will be forgiven. And then in this one, he says that if you confess your faults to one another, that you'll be healed instead of being forgiven. He says, but you're healed. <laughs> and so he's like, it's linked that your healing and your forgiveness is linked. And then he says the effectual fervent prayer. This is probably the verse most people know from James. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it may not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. And so he's saying Elijah was a man like us, but he understood that he could have the power of God working through him and that he could pray and see things change. And so we need to understand that prayer is not just something, you know, we do at a meal or to close out our day. If it's effectual and fervent and it's coming from a righteous heart. It is powerful and it's effective and it brings change. And, you know, I think the greatest thing you can do is just every day sincerely pray to the Lord and and really take hold of that scripture and say, you know, you take like you did with Elijah, these words and you back it with heaven's power and authority. That's so good. Well, I guess, you know, James is one of those books that, we could probably do good to read it a couple of times a year, you know, just to remind yes. ourselves to walk the walk and talk the talk. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? Well, the last verse in James there, the last two says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he that converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. And, it reminds me of the verse in Jude, Jude 1, and 23 that says, And some have a compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. In other words, it should, when we see someone that is struggling and someone that is maybe, maybe making mistakes, it is our responsibility as the body of Christ to, to love them, to go to them, to help them. You know, that's, that's true maturity, and that's what uh, James was saying in chapter 2 that we talked about earlier, that if your faith is real, that it should be helpful to everyone around you. You know, uh, the makes me think about how the Bible says about Jesus, and he went about doing good <laughs> and healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. Like, it should just be that it's flowing out of us because, because it's the real deal. It, it has real help. For the people around us. And so I think that's one thing that James is kind of saying all the way through his book is that real maturity really does walk the walk and it comes from a right heart and attitude. You know, our motives matter. Our attitudes matter. You can be doing all the right things with the wrong attitude. And kind of like First Corinthians 13 says, it's just like, whoa, people can't even really receive it. But if our hearts aligned with the Lord and we're submitted and humble to him and then we're really letting him flow through us, then it's effective and it it produces results and it helps the people around us and it helps us. Right. That's so good. Well, thank you so much. I hope this blesses and encourages you as you listen today. Thank you again. Thank you, Kristen. Thanks. podcast. Please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll be informed next time I post. Thank you again and have a blessed day.